from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Good morning. My name is Kelly Williams, and I'm currently serving on, as an elder on the session here at First Pres. Please join us, me, in the call to worship. We gather in the name of the living Christ to worship God. Surely God is in this place and calls us to worship in spirit and in truth. God's love is for you and for all the people everywhere. That we The living Christ is with us. Let us, Let us praise the living God. Please remain standing as we pray together as a community our prayer of confession, trusting in God's amazing grace. Let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, hear our prayer. We know we do not always live as we ought. We turn away from you, from our neighbor, and from our true selves. We know we dim your light within us with our pride, our self-righteousness, and our need for control. We know that you love us, that you do not abandon us, and that again and again, you call us back to you, back to love, back to grace, back to your light. Forgive us, we pray, through Christ our Lord, amen. Let us pray our own silent prayers.
Amen. Friends, hear the good news. The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Alleluia. Amen. Please turn to your pew Bibles to James 5, 13 through 15, which can be found on page 217 in the New Testament. Listen to and hear God's word. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with the oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Um, our second reading, which has just been added <laughs> to my knowledge, is 2 Corinthians, which can be found on page 170 in the New Testament, verses, Corinthians 5, excuse me, verses 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others but we ourselves are known to God, and I hope that we are also known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to him through Christ and has given us ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on, the, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be different people than those who came into the sacred space this morning, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to, to take your bulletins out and turn to the front cover. There's a bolded word in the right column that says mission. I'd like to begin by just reading this mission statement that is anchoring our long-range strategic plan. First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta is a community of humble followers of Jesus Christ who choose by God's grace to live by love, see continual transformation, and equip all to be servant leaders in Atlanta and throughout the world. Embedded in this new mission statement is four big ideas that help organize the values as we have discerned them for this particular place in time in our faith and life together that frame the values of our community of faith. The first value being community, the first big idea rather being community, the next one being love, transformation, and servant leadership. And since January the 8th, we've been in a sermon series introducing our long-range strategic plan by focusing on the values that come underneath each one of these four categories. And so we continue this week under the heading of love by looking at the values of mutual care and restorative relationships. So first, when we talk about mutual care, we are talking about the giving and receiving of shelter, of nurture, and of spiritual friendship. One of the great strengths of this congregation is the way in which we care about each other, the way in which we care for each other, both in in formal ways and in informal ways. Certainly, we have ministries of care that remind us that God's love can be transformatively known when the church decides to be the church, when the church decides to be present with those in need, to offer its time and its prayer in ministries of care and hospitality. Just yesterday, 90 women gathered here on campus for a women's retreat where spiritual formation happened and where new friendships were formed. I think of our Stephen ministry, which trains and matches people for the sake of Christian caregiving as those individuals are are going through difficult seasons and periods in their lives. I think about the knitters who gather in in a classroom and, and, and each and every time they gather, they knit and they talk and they share life together, literally stitching together prayers that will literally cover people that they are praying for. I think of our pastoral team who visits the sick, those in hospital, and those who are homebound. I think about the privilege it is to share communion with those who no longer can make their way to 16th and Peachtree Streets on a Sunday morning like this one to receive communion in flesh, in person. So many of our our friends are, are watching online or they'll watch on AIB this week because they simply cannot get here anymore. What a privilege it is to share in community in those sacred spaces in their homes. 
I think about the pastoral counseling offered by our trained staff, and I, I think about the commitment we've made as a congregation to the Samaritan Counseling Center by allowing that center to operate free of, of any rental fees that we would, would charge. I think about one of our young adults, a mom of two, who, as they say, is great with child, who has launched a food train ministry for families who are welcoming children, new boys and girls, into their families. I think about our connections team that writes personal handwritten notes to first-time visitors, welcoming them to our congregation. I think about those who commit weekly and even daily to pray through the needs that we know about and those needs that we don't know about. People are committed to prayer for those who need a special touch from God. While there's so much good happening in and through ministries of mutual care, we also have a bigger vision. We also have an idea in terms of the way in which we can can grow this ministry of care. We have a vision, and this is detailed in our long-range strategic plan, to create a multi-generational team, because it's not just adults who can do this kind of care, but a multi-generational team that can be trained and connected to individuals in our church who need that regular connecting point, who need that relationship, who need to know that this church is still with them and for them, to be able to visit with them at least once a month. Now, to be sure, there has been a lot of excitement in this past year as we've welcomed new faces to our community. We've had 96 new members join the church in 2016. That's the most since 2008. And we celebrate this new vision and the new ministries that emerge because of the new folks that come just today, as I mentioned earlier. We have 27 people who are going to be part of the on-ramp experience who are discerning whether or not they want to become members of this church. And while we celebrate the newness and the freshness of these faces and these ministries and these ideas, we must constantly remember those who can no longer be in these pews but would love to be in them. We have to remember those who can't share communion with us at this table, who couldn't be here live and in person. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but but I've sat with many members of this church who were part of this committee and that committee, part of this council and that council. They they chaired the preschool board. They chaired the, the stewardship campaign. They gave their lives and their time and their heart to this church. And there is a season of lament when they can't be here. And we want to make sure in this long-range plan that every person, every member and friend of this church has regular contact because we want these folks to know, these folks who love this church so much, we want them to know how much this church still loves them. And so we have a vision to make sure that every person who wants a connection will have one in person, in the flesh. That's mutual care. The second value that's in front of us today is restorative relationships. When we talk about restorative relationships, we're talking about seeking reconciliation with God and with one another. In Paul's correspondence with the church at Corinth, he says that that Christ's love urges us on. It's his love, Paul's saying, that that motivates us. It's, It's his love that is the genesis of our love This love, he says, has been made known to us in that Christ died for all. Did you hear that? 
that Christ died for all. Not only that, he was raised for all. So important is, is this three-letter word, all. In the Greek, it's also three letters. It's the word pas. And it means the same thing. There is a, a sense of totality with this word. There's a sense of inclusiveness with this word. We're talking about here, and what Paul is, is referencing here, is all people. Everybody. Not some people. Not people from this part of the world or that part of the world. Not people who carry this national identity or that national identity or, or that cultural or, 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 or religious identity. What Paul is saying is that what has happened and taken place in Christ Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection is for pas, is for all. Paul's also clear to say that this work is not our work. God is the subject of this work. God is the author of this work. It's not dependent upon us. Thanks be to God. It's not dependent upon our morality. Thanks be to God. It's not dependent on the rightness of our theology. Thanks be to God. It's not dependent upon our worship attendance. It is totally dependent upon who God is and what God has done for pass, for all. It does, however, invite us into a new way of being human. It invites us into a new reality, a reality that has an effective impact on our lives, that actually transforms us and changes us in how we interact and how we perceive our place in this world. Paul says it this way, in, in receiving this Christ, in receiving this gift that he has made effective, we witness to a ministry of reconciliation in our own life and for the life of the world. That's how that reality takes shape in our lives, by embracing a ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul writes this, we regard no one from a human point of view. We regard no one from a human point of view. Literally, the Greek reads this, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, this word in the Greek that we translate to the word flesh can mean literally skin and bones, flesh, a physical body. But Paul often uses this word for theological purposes, to make a theological point. He uses this word often to describe an act or describe a person who is living life in the flesh, meaning that they are disconnected from God that they're living outside of God's will. So when Paul says that we regard no one from a human point of view, he's saying that we do not view people as if they are outside of God's salvific purposes. When we look at the other, what we're saying is, is we're taking a point of view that says they too are on the heart and the mind of God. They are included. This means that the enemy, the foreigner, the refugee, the stranger, the homeless, the sick, the lonely, the depressed, the homebound, the lawbreaker, gay, straight, black, white, brown, rich, successful, well-to-do, the Christian, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the atheist, all people, says Paul, receive this love. All people receive this gift and are deemed worthy to receive our love too. It's, it's really simple to say, if God loves them, I'm called to love them. If God has reconciled them, I should be reconciled to them. If God has laid down God's life for them, I should lay down my life for them too.
That in its pure sense is what I believe it means to be an ambassador of Christ. When Paul says it in these terms, that we represent the reconciling work of God. We represent it and represent it time and time and time again in and for the world. But as I said, it is not an easy work, for we have been formed in a culture of anxiety that instructs us to fear the other, to not move toward the other, to move away from the one who is different. I'll close with this story. I have a friend in Pennsylvania named Nelson. Nelson isn't his given name. It's just the name he goes by since coming to the United States. Nelson is a Sunni Muslim. His birthplace is Mosul, Iraq. And before the war, Nelson was a computer engineer who obtained what is the equivalent of a master's degree in our education system in his particular field. He entered the United States as a refugee, on refugee status, and he was working as a janitor. I met him through refugee resettlement ministry, much like the one we have here at First Presbyterian Church, who has a vision over the next six years to resettle five refugee families each and every year. On that day that I met him, I clearly remember, I clearly remember, and maybe you've had a moment like this, how I fixated on our difference. Have you ever met somebody where you're meeting them for the first time and your differences are so obvious that you begin uh, to, to just kind of be, be single-mindedly focused on them, not seeing them as, as beyond the, the, the labels or the markers that we carry in this world? He was a Muslim. I was a Christian. He was Arab. I was Anglo. His native tongue, Farsi. My native tongue, English. That was my point of view in that moment, and, and it was all I could see, difference difference. That is until he invited me to his home one afternoon for Turkish coffee. That stuff will keep you up at night. <laughs> he was exceptionally gracious in his welcome of me. I met his wife, Atard, who was seven months pregnant. And it was during that three-hour coffee that I learned his story. I learned how he risked his life, literally risked his life to support the U.S. military with intelligence. I learned about his studies and his career and how he missed being able to use his experience and education in the field for which he had so much passion for. He told me about his deep desire to be a citizen of this country and his hopes and dreams for his unborn son who would, in fact, be the first U.S. citizen in his family. My point of view started to change as we got to know each other. A few weeks later, I received an early morning call from one of the volunteer coordinators for that refugee resettlement ministry. Atard, Nelson's wife, had an emergency C-section, and the baby was in significant distress, confined in a little incubator in a NICU in the local hospital. The coordinator said to me, Nelson and Atard asked for you to come to the hospital. They wanted me, a Presbyterian minister, to come and pray. So I quickly got changed. I drove over there. When I arrived, I made my way to the 
to the NICU. Nelson greeted me, as it was his custom, with two kisses, one for each cheek. And, and as his cheek pressed against mine, I could feel the dampness caused by the tears he was crying all through the night, tears that I was familiar with, as I had been in those same shoes, standing over an incubator for both of our boys, Luke and Johnny, when they came into the world. He mumbled and, and said to me, come and let us go see Ali. And as we entered the NICU, a nurse was waiting there, and Nelson asked her, can my pastor come and pray for my son? This Sunni Muslim, this refugee, this father whose heart was breaking called me his pastor. We came to where Ali was, and Nelson then said, please, Tony, pray in the name of Jesus that he would be healed. Points of view were being radically altered all over the place. So I caressed little Ali's head with my hand, and I, and I prayed for him in the name of Jesus, that health would be his. And thanks be to God, it was. Friends, we regard no one from a human point of view. And by we, Paul means people who dare claim the name Christ. We don't. We see others the way God sees them as beloved, as, as valued, as worthy of friendship, as worthy of hospitality, as worthy of time and worthy of presence, as worthy of prayer, as worthy of liberty and life, as worthy of love, as nothing short of children of God. And so may we, the church, represent this point of view in our city, and for God's sake, this world that God loves. Amen. Ambassadors of Christ, may we represent the good news of the gospel. May we represent it to a broken world. And may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. May that peace live inside of us this day and every day of our life. Amen.